As we begin this morning, I just want to ask you a question up front. Don't think too deeply about this, but what are what are the goals for your life? Pretty big question. What are the goals for your life? What what kinds of things do you aspire to? Do you hope for that will happen in your life? What what things do you pursue, invest your time in, and and really just you dial up? What are what are the goals for your life? And we would all answer that in a bunch of different ways, you know, maybe find a boyfriend or girlfriend, uh, get finish my classes today or this semester, uh, get a good job after I graduate. Find a place, get planted, get it, get involved in a good local church, et cetera, et cetera. Those are all really good goals, helpful goals for your life. But let's let's take it one step further. What do you think are God's goals for your life? Think through that. So, okay, we've got God who is infinitely wise, good, and sovereign. He's the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And so, what are His goals? Or maybe we could say it more specifically, what is his goal for my life? Well, this is probably not going to come as any surprise to you if you've been in our ministry for any amount of time. But I could sum it up really, I mean, we could say it in a couple of different ways. But what is God's goal for my life, for our lives as believers? And I would sum it up with one word, and I would say growth. You could argue with me, it was for His glory, you know, okay, for Him to be glorified in our lives. Yes, but He's glorified predominantly through our growth in Christ. So we're starting a new series today, and it's not going to be as comprehensive. We've only got four weeks before the, really the end of the semester. Don't, don't get panicked. There's more weeks than that, the end of the semester. We've got maybe five weeks to the end of the semester, but we've got a farewell message coming up. So four weeks for me to do this series so, what I want us to talk about is, is growth in Christ's likeness. That's the topic that we're going to be looking at over the next four weeks. Growth is God's agenda for our lives. It's, we could call it His glorious goal for us. Growth in Christ. So, just by way of introduction, turn over to Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1. Warm your fingers up this morning. Just a little disclaimer. We're going to be all over the Bible. So we're not going to be in one passage like we have been in Acts, but we'll be all over today. But Ephesians 1. Look in verse 3. We're looking at the, the scope. Uh, really, verse 4 is where we're going to key in. But, but listen at the scope of this verse. Okay, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Verse 4. Even as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world. Why? That we should be holy and blameless before Him. Do you see the scope there? Paul is just pulling back the curtains right out of the gate with the Ephesians and saying, Look, God chose you. If you've believed in Christ today, it's because God chose you. He granted faith. You believed in Christ and that, that happened, that choice happened before the foundation of the world. And He chose you for a purpose that you should be, what does He say here? Holy and blameless before Him. So your holiness and blamelessness is God's goal for choosing you. For working out the, the effects of that choice and bringing you to faith in Christ and saving you and washing you and cleansing you. Those truths that we sang about, 
so that He would present you actually blameless and holy, holy before Him. Flip over to Romans 8. Again, just another way of saying this same, same idea here. Romans 8, 28. Familiar passage. But think through the, the implications of this. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. Okay, so that's encouraging. For those who are called according to His purpose. So God is using everything, including our suffering. To work together for our good. So what is that What is that good? Verse 29. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son. In order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Again, just you see the scope of this. The purpose... This good that God's working everything toward is your, how does he say it here? Conformity to Christ. That Christ would be formed in you. So again, just, just want to highlight out, out at the beginning, God's goal for your life, for my life, is, is growth in Christ's likeness. That's his glorious goal. That's his agenda for us as we, as we start out today. So, just right out of the gate, his agenda needs to become our agenda. That should be the, the, the reigning pursuit of our lives, is to become like Christ, to imitate Him. And I want to do this series because there's a lot of questions about the growth process, isn't there? You kind of be thinking about it in your own head, like, how, how do I grow in Christ? If someone were to come up to you and ask you that question, so, how do you grow? Okay, so if growth, if growth is such a big deal to God, um, how do we, how do we, Go about this process. And really, in whether it's counseling, discipleship, whatever it is that, that I'm involved with, or that we're involved with as a pastoral team, a lot of our failures to grow is just rooted in we don't understand this growth process. We don't understand what God is, his, what God is intending for us and how He intends to grow us in Christ. So, I really want to spend some time over the next four weeks just laying out these these issues, working through some various aspects of them, what I think are the most important aspects about this this growth process. So if you could think about it over the next four weeks, today we'll look at uh, some principles for growth, just generally. So think big picture, bird's eye view. Uh, this is just sort of my chance to say everything I can uh, in one sermon about about growth. And I think it will be very, very encouraging to you. The principles about growth from a big, big picture, that's today. Next week, we'll look at the priority of faith in the Christian life. I might call it something different by next week, by the time I wordsmith it and get around to it. But the issue that we're going to be looking at is the priority of faith in the Christian life, particularly faith over our feelings. Okay? So we're millennials, and we are driven by our feelings, like it or not. I mean, that's the air we breathe. But... The priority in the scriptures is faith. So we'll look at what is faith? How is it, how does it lead to sanctification? How does it lead to growth? So the priority of faith in the Christian life, week two. Week three, we're going to look at some other specific ways that God grows us. 
You can think about those as like the tools that God uses in our lives to shape us and conform us to Christ. Things like the church and preaching and prayer and suffering, uh, among many others. We'll look at, we'll look at those specific ways that God intends to grow us and why it's so important that we know that and how we can get on board, um, with the growth process. And then at the end, we'll, we'll talk through, kind of tie it all together and talk about how do we actually measure progress? How do we grow in Christ and then, and then see that growth measured over time? Um, and that's, that's super important because that leads to more assurance, more hope in our lives, more power in our evangelism. Um, all kinds of things happen as we progress by faith in this growth process. So take the next four weeks and, and look at this topic. I'm calling it Growth in Christ-likeness. If you want another title, you could call it uh, Being Conformed to the Image of Christ. That would be very helpful. It's a good biblical title there from Romans 8. Uh, Conform to his image, or uh, one of my favorites that we'll talk about here in a little while, but uh, becoming people of the new creation. Another way that Scripture presents this, this growth process is we're actually becoming people of the, of the new creation. So, today we're going to look at the bird's eye view of, of sanctification or growth. We'll look at what the Bible says about, about growth in Christ. And I want this to be very hopeful for you. So the last thing I want is to put a, a thousand pound weight on your back out of this message and think, oh, I'll never achieve this. What we're going to see today are these principles from Scripture that, that just fuel our hope and really write our thinking about this whole process. And I think you'll find it very, very helpful. So if you want a, a thesis or a proposition today, we're, we're looking at seven principles about growth. Seven principles about growth. So let's get, let's get after it. Let's get right to it. Number one, growth is possible because of Christ's death and resurrection on our behalf. Growth is possible, it can happen now, because of Christ's death and resurrection on our behalf. Turn over to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians 2. 1 through 10. And basically, the way I'm going to do this is just, I'm just going to jot down the reference up here. And if you can get to it, great. If you can't, I'll provide this for you in a Word document or something. So, I want you to just get the principle, see where it's at in Scripture. And I'm not, we're not going to spend a whole lot of time in each of these texts because I've got a bunch of different texts. Um, but I want you to see the principle and see the implications from these principles. So, growth is possible. It can happen because Christ's death and resurrection are on our behalf. Ephesians 2.1, we're just going to read these first ten verses with some minor comments. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. Dead people can't grow. Okay? You see that? You were dead in the transgressions and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived. So we're all in that camp at one point. We all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. And we're by nature children of wrath. That means children of God's wrath. Like the rest of mankind. So we're hopeless. Apart from Christ, apart from the death and resurrection of Jesus, and that being applied to us, we are dead. There's no ability in us to actually become people of the new creation. Does this make sense? 
So it can't happen apart from the death and resurrection of Jesus. But notice what happens in verse 4. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. He brought us to life. He granted new birth. So yeah, from a human perspective, we heard the gospel and exercised faith in it. But that's because God was working in us. He brought us to life, from death to life. So God's making this possible. He, brought, he, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace you've been saved. And raised us up with Him. So, in a sense, we participate in Christ's resurrection now and seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages He might show the immeasurable riches of His grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It's the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Okay, so you didn't earn any of this. God did it for you through the death and resurrection of Christ by by being united with Him. Now notice where it goes. Verse 10. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So do you see where the good works, the, the, the growth is flowing out of? It's flowing out of a new creature. A creature that's been renewed, remade in the image of Christ. So it's impossible. Growth is impossible without knowing and trusting Christ. But it is made possible by His death and resurrection. So God brings us to life in Jesus, and we have the capacity to grow now. So that just means if you try to grow in character apart from faith in Christ, it's ultimately a fruitless endeavor. Does that make sense? It's pretty, pretty self-explanatory. And it also implies that our conversion isn't the ending point. Right? It's, it's sort of like the door that which we walk through you know, on a new journey now. It's the starting point in a journey toward Christ-likeness, toward these good works that God has prepared beforehand for us. Now turn over quickly to Romans 6. Romans 6. I just want to show you this one more time here in, in another text. Romans, in the first five chapters, Paul has really laid out the, the depravity of man in a kind of a more extended version than, than Ephesians that we just looked at. And then the glorious righteousness of, of God that's provided for us in Christ and all the implications of that. And we get down to chapter 6. And the question is, man, if this grace is so lavish... I mean, should we just keep sinning so that more and more grace abounds to us in Christ? And Paul says, absolutely not. That would be a perversion of your conversion. So look in verse 1. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin so that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? You see that? When we trusted Jesus, we participated in His death on the cross in some sense. We were buried, therefore, with Him by baptism into death in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with Him in a death like His, we shall certainly be united with Him in a resurrection like His. We know that our old self was crucified with Him. Why? in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing, so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. 
Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with Him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over Him. For the death He died, He died to sin once for all. But the life He lives, He lives to God. So, here's the implication. You also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. So, my point in bringing this this text up, this Romans 6 text, 1 through 14 is we are united by Christ both in His death and resurrection. And something decisive happened when God brought us to faith in Jesus. It says He broke the power of sin in our lives. Now you may push back and say, wait a minute, like there's still a lot of sin I struggle with. And that's true. Paul's not saying that we're sinless. He is saying, though, that, that the new reality for you is that God has broken the very power of sin that you were enslaved to because He brought you to faith in Christ. And now it's your responsibility to believe that. You see that? Verse 11. So you must also consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. So again, just highlighting the fact that Christ's death, or that Christ's death makes it possible for us to grow in, in Him. He's given us a, a fundamentally new identity and it's the foundation for all of our growth in the Christian life. It's like you, your, your garden just got renewed and, and fertile now. Now it can actually, when seeds are planted, it can grow. And that's the idea. But not only is growth possible, the scriptures say that growth is sure for every believer. Growth is sure for every believer. Let's, let's go to Philippians here. Philippians 1, 6. Philippians 1, 6. Paul has this sort of overflowing confidence that God's going to complete the work they start, that he started in them. Look in verse 6. He says, I'm sure of this. You see his certainty? That he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. He says, it's right for me to feel this way about you all. So, this confidence that Paul has for the Philippians is is expressed in this verse. God's going to do this. He's going to bring you to to full maturity. And that fuels the the prayer for growth in verse 9. Look down in verse 9. He says, and it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve of what is excellent, and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. So because it's sure, because God's not going to let you stagnate, because He began the work and He's going to bring it to completion, that fuels Paul's prayer for for growth for the Philippians and our our prayer for growth for one another. And flip over to to chapter 3. And this is one little comment that's tucked away here in in chapter 3 that I just, I love. Paul's talking about progressing in, in faith and progressing in growth. And uh, he just says, you know, kind of made a statement in the previous verses about how they should think. It says in verse 15, 3.15, Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. <laughs> Paul's confident that if you've got immature thinking, God in his timing is going to reveal that to you. He's your believer. Isn't that cool? Like God is committed to our growth. Paul's like, yeah, just, let those who are mature think this way. And if you think otherwise, if you disagree, it's okay. God's going to reveal that to you. 
It's funny, but at the same time, it's reassuring, at least to me, as somebody in progress, that God is committed to opening my eyes to see my sin. So, this is, I mean, there's so many examples, but in in the letter to the Thessalonians, there's another just really great example. In chapter 4, you don't have to turn there, but God actually says, this is the will of God for your life, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality. And then later in the book, uh, in chapter 5, I'll just read it to you. In chapter 5, 23 and 24, he says this. Listen to this confidence. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. Do you hear that? God is capable and is faithful to complete the sanctifying work in your life. It's incredible. It's everywhere. All, and other principles feed into this. That, like the principle that, God, that God's going to discipline us for growth. So you say, yeah, well, I'm just going to kind of kick back and just sort of kind of flirt with sin over here. He says, okay, I'm going to ratchet up the heat in your life so that you see it. So that you, I discipline you. That you in the, Hebrews 12, that's another, another passage here, Hebrews 12, 3, 3 through 11. He says in particular that that all discipline is so that we might share in His holiness. In in verse 10. So that we'll have the peaceful fruit of righteousness in our lives. Verse 11. This implies that our growth is sure. God's committed to it. God even uses our sufferings in every situation in life to work for our ultimate good. Like we we saw in Romans 8, 28 and 29. He's using it to conform us to the image of His Son. And this implies that growth is sure. Suffering can't thwart it. God's going to use suffering in the life of a genuine believer. So not only will we be glorified one day, and we will, but God has assured and promised us that we will make progress in Christ-likeness now. He will see to it. And if we're not, or we have no growth in our life, then we probably don't belong to Him. Now we'll talk about immaturity in the Christian life in just a moment. Because there is a category for that. But, but God is committed to this. And this should fuel our hope and keep us from giving up in the most difficult sins to overcome. If these truths sink in, we're going to have a tenacity in fighting sin. Because we know that God, that God has promised real, lasting change in this life. Not just in eternity. So all that is, is, uh, is true. That God is, the growth is sure for every believer. Number three, growth is empowered by God Himself. Now this is similar to what we just looked at, but it's, it's slightly different. Growth is empowered by God. So He's committed to it, but He also supplies the power to actually grow. And this is all over Scripture. Um, I'll just cite some examples here. 1 Corinthians 3, 6. Paul and Apollos are watering, he says, but God gives the growth. So where does it come from? God. Right? So God's the one supplying it, providing it. Colossians 2.19, it says that, that as the body's working together, so there's means involved in this, that the body of Christ grows with a growth that is from God. You know, literally, it's a growth of God. So it's like growth that has God as its source. That's the idea. Colossians 2.19. Philippians 2.13. This is familiar to you. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Man's responsibility. Why? For the reason God is at work in you. To will and to work for His good pleasure. 
So God is the one at the bottom of this whole process. And in Ephesians is a, is a beautiful book about the power of God in our lives. And, and what Paul says about God's power is that it's the power that, that's at work within us is God's limitless resurrection power. He says it's the same power in Ephesians 1 that raised Jesus from the dead. You now have through the Holy Spirit. So you have God's power at your disposal. And then in chapter 3, he says God is, is able to do far more than we could ever imagine. And the context is our growth in Christ. So just think about that. The power that is available to us in the Lord Jesus to grow. So what happens if we think it's all on us? And there is a responsibility that we have we're going to talk about. But what happens if we think it's all on us? Well, if, if, if we do grow, and God's actually producing that fruit, we might be tempted to be proud and self-righteous because we think that we generated all this good fruit, and it came from us. And the glory then would rebound to us, right? Okay, praise me, because I, I did this. And then we'll begin to be critical and judge others because they can't quite be like us. You know, like, well, we, we could do this, so you should be able to do this too. Um, we'll turn to ourselves. We'll be pragmatic. We'll look for self-help strategies rather than to the Lord and His Word for help. And then ultimately, we'll cut ourselves off from, from fresh supplies of God's limitless power through prayer. So those are all things that will happen if, if we think it's all on us. But when we remember that God is the one ultimately behind all of our growth, we're humbled, we're desperate, and we're dependent on Him for any growth that comes to us. And we aren't tempted to grab His glory for ourselves. But we want to glorify God for the fruit that He's produced in our lives. It keeps us from trusting men, thinking, man, if I just, if I can just, you know, have this person and I'll grow or, or, or anything else. It keeps us from trusting anything other than God in our lives. And it ultimately provides the motivation for this, this next principle here, number four, is that growth also involves our strenuous and often painful effort. If we know God's at work, He's supplying the power, it motivates us to actually get after it in our lives today because growth also involves our strenuous and often painful effort. And these aren't contradictory so just a few verses to show you this. That there's strenuous effort involved. Philippians 3.12, Paul's own example. I just want you to listen to some of these words. He says, I press on to make it my own. Is that kind of laissez-faire in the Christian life? No. I press on to make it my own. That's, that's growth in Christ's maturity. Because Christ Jesus has made me His own. He says later in the same, same chapter, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. So hear that language, strenuous effort. Peter, so lest we just kind of monopolize Paul here. Peter says the same thing in 2 Peter 1.5. Oh, sorry. 2 Peter 1.5, he says, make every effort to supply your faith with virtue. And he goes on and lists other... So there's clearly effort involved, right? You see that? It's not a let go, let God, you know, I'm just going to kind of hope my sanctification happens. 
Because God's at work. No, God has ordained the means of human effort in this process. Of you striving for growth and sanctification. That's not legalism. Even though it's common today, especially in our circles. Not our circles here, but liberty circles, things like that. To talk about any kind of striving is legalistic. You know, oh, you're just works-based, man. You just need to to think about your justification. You know, That'll, that'll sanctify you. That does help us in our growth process, but that's not all that God intends. Growth involves our strenuous effort, and it's often painful. It's often painful. Look at some of these passages. He says in 1 Timothy 4, to young Timothy here, who's tempted to want an easy life, I can identify, I'm young Clay, who's tempted to want an easy life in the ministry. He says, discipline yourself for godliness. In 1 Timothy 4. Discipline yourself for godliness. Now, that's not always pleasant. Jordan just ran a 50K. How pleasant was that? (laughs) Did it take discipline to get there? Yes. How pleasant was the discipline it took to get there? Not pleasant. So, discipline, like, like Hebrews says, doesn't seem pleasant in the moment. But in the end, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. So discipline yourself for godliness. So just, I mean, we could multiply examples here, but Romans 8.13, Paul tells us that by the Spirit we should put to death the deeds of the body. I mean, think about that. He didn't say, you know, just try to stop sinning. He said, kill it. Murder it. Put it to death. And yes, by the power of the Spirit, but is that pleasant? Think about that. I mean, why does he use the imagery? Why is it warfare imagery? Is death pleasant? No, it is not. Because the power of sin is strong in our life. And it's, Galatians says that the, the, the desires of the flesh are waging war against the desires of the Spirit. And we're going to have to put those things to death by the power of the Spirit. We'll talk about that. My only point here is I want you to see that growth involves our strenuous effort. And it's often painful. Now again, there's lots of motivations that, that fuel this process. But what happens if we, if we just think, like it's so tempting, I was here in my previous, you know, in the earlier Christian life, if we just think, okay, it's all on God. We kind of read those other passages to the isolation of this one. It's all on God. My sanctification is dependent on God alone. Well, we'll pray about it, and then we'll wonder why we don't change. I mean, have you ever done that? Just pray harder, right? Just gotta pray about this sin. That's great. And we should be praying. That's one of the means that God wants us to, to use. But there's, there's something else involved here that God wants us to, to leverage. You know, the common phrase, let go, let God, or, or get out of the way and let God work. Um, you know, I kind of get the sentiment behind that. But it really denies a lot of these passages. It denies every imperative in the New Testament. You think about that? All the commands that God gives us in the, in the New Testament. It's like, yeah, those are not really commands. Just let go. It could all be summarized, but just let go. You know, it's like, no. Paul would slap that guy. Like, what are you doing? You know, that's not what I'm saying. So don't let go, let God. Don't get out of the way. Trust God and get after it. Um, I think another thing that happens if we, if we think it's, it's all on God is that we become defeated by habitual sins because we're not supplying effort. We, we, we just become defeated. We're tempted to think, another thing, we're tempted to think that any call for holiness is harsh or legalistic. You know? How many of you have been accused of being a legalist because you strive for sanctification? 
That happens often. We may have accused others of being legalistic as they're just saying, hey, we've got to be holy, you know? That's what God desires for us. So we're going to be, we're going to tempted to go that way if, if we start thinking wrongly here. We'll tempted to be, be tempted to be victimized by our sin. Like, I just can't, you know, I'm just, I'm the victim of my sin rather than taking responsibility for it. And then the, 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 I think the most dangerous thing that happens out of this is that we, we will begin to ultimately resent God for not changing us when we asked Him to. We'll begin to resent God for not changing us when, when we asked Him to. But this principle is actually, is, is, it, sound, it sounds intense, but it's actually really encouraging. Nothing is wrong with you if you have to starve and kill your sinful cravings. That's normal. Fighting them to the death is normal. Often, we, when we think sanctification should be easy, we give up easily. We grow discouraged easily. But when we know that God really does intend us to fight, to strive, to get after it with all of our might, that the battle is supposed to be hard, and that God really is with us in that battle, we're steadied, aren't we? We're motivated to fight. Okay, yeah, right. Okay, the battle's been won. I'm, I'm going to get after it. It's going to be hard, but God's with me. Okay, number five. We'll have to progress quickly through some of these. <laughs> Growth is a progression uh, throughout life, but it is not quick. Um, Growth is a progression throughout life. So, don't hear me saying that you're going to get sanctified overnight in the progressive sense. It's, it happens over time throughout life. I'll just give you a couple of references, summarize them here. 1 Timothy 4.15, Paul tells Timothy to practice these things, which is the commands he's given him. Immerse yourself in them so that all may see your progress, not arrival, not perfection, but progress. That you're making progress in the Christian life. Incremental progress is measurable, which is encouraging. The church should be able to see us progressing. Isn't that Interesting. He's not, tell, he's not telling Timothy to do it out of the fear of man. He's saying, strive after sanctification because we want to see progress in your life. Again, Philippians 1.25. Paul is like, should I die? Uh, should I stay around? If I die, that's better for me. Which is a mind bender. You know, different than we often think. If I die, it's better for me. But if I stick around, it's better for you. So I'll stick around. He says... For your progress and joy in the faith. So that you progress. And the progress, I love this, means your joy. The most joyful person on the planet was the Lord Jesus Christ. And we are, we are trying to grow into Him, into His likeness. So our progress is joy in the faith. Love that verse. And in Philippians 3, 12 through 16, we won't go there. This is just Paul's own example. Paul himself was a model of the progress in the Christian life. Paul said, I have not arrived in, in Philippians 3, but I press on uh, to make it more of a reality in my own life. So that means for us, we never arrive. We won't get to some state of being able not to sin. You know, there is a, there is a movement that's been around for a long time, the higher life movement that says that you get to a point where you're, you're not going to sin anymore. But that's not true. That's, it's not biblical. This helps us to stay humble and dependent on Christ. 
And like we said, this progress is measurable, and we're going to look at that in weeks to come, how we can measure this, this progress in our life. And that actually gives us so much assurance and hope that God really is at work in my heart. Um, even in the smallest little incremental growth, Paul was all the time praising people for the smallest little aspects of growth in their lives because it, it indicates that God's at work. So this is huge, huge for encouragement. Okay, the last two real quick. Growth takes us from immaturity to maturity. From immaturity to maturity. And I, I call it Christ-like maturity because He is the standard of our, of our maturity. Growth takes us from immaturity to Christ-like maturity. So every Christian begins in an, in an immature state. That's kind of the default. We're babes in Christ. And this means immature means that we're, we're characterized by sinful or fleshly impulses. We see that in 1 Corinthians 3. It means we're characterized by life-dominating sins. We don't know how to get out. We're enslaved. We're, we're, we're caught up in it. We need spiritual people to restore us, Galatians 6.1. It means we're not doctrinally stable in the knowledge of Christ, Ephesians 4.14. It means we don't have much discernment from Hebrews 5. So there is a reality that every Christian begins in an immature state. But the downside and what gets rebuked in Scripture is when you ought to be further than you are. Like Hebrews 5, 11 through 14 talks about that. It says that the, the hearers have grown, or the, the, the recipients have grown dull in their hearing, which means they don't apply the truth like they should have, and they're not advancing in their discernment. So they still need the milk. They still need the, the, the basic things. They're not skilled in the word of righteousness yet. And they should be because enough time has elapsed for that to happen. Which means they're not, they're not supplying that diligent effort. So there is a reality that we're immature. But, but Paul's ministry, the, the goal of his ministry was to present every single believer mature in Christ. And that is Colossians 1.28. Every single believer mature in Christ. And we'll probably flesh this out more later, but, but you can be mature and still be maturing. Sounds kind of a weird, but you can be mature. You can be called mature. Paul called himself mature in Philippians 3.12. But he said, I still strive on to make it my own. So number seven, last one here. Growth is highly, highly valuable. Growth is highly valuable. I'll, I'll list some texts here that show this, but I want to draw one thing in conclusion here. 1 Timothy 4.8, Titus 3.8. Growth is incredibly valuable to us now. Not just eternally, but now. And one sweet text is uh, how Paul describes our growth in 2 Corinthians 3.18. He describes our growth... As glory. He says we're progressing from one degree of glory to another. So just so you can get the full Lord picture of this, what's happening inside of you is transformation. Transformation that's beginning now in this life, in this evil age, with our bodies that are corrupt and decaying, and, and we're, we're, you know, our outer nature's wasting away, but our inner nature's being renewed day by day. And this renewal that's happening is something that's, that's becoming uh, part of this. You're the new creature in Christ. You're the new creation in Christ. And there's a new creation that's coming that's characterized by all of this righteousness that we're talking about. 
And it's been implanted in you, and now God is beginning to cultivate that in you. And that is glory, and it's glory inside of you. And it, it's a paradox in the world because we're like, okay, there's people are persecuted, they're broken, they're, you know, all these things. But there's an inner glory that's happening in these, in these Christians. And they're becoming like the ideal human, Jesus Christ. They're becoming people. We are becoming people of the new humanity. So we have to see it, I think, in that context to see the value of what's happening inside of us in this growth process. We often don't see the beauty and the value of Christ-likeness. Or we minimize it. We think other things are more important or more valuable. Or we think that the, the, the fleeting pleasures of sin now are better for us than this glorious thing that's happening inside of us, which is called conformity to Jesus. So, I just want to highlight that. I want to, want to put that out before you, that growth is highly valuable. And just those are a few texts that we could talk about. There's so many more things we could say on this. But again, seven principles that are just a bird's eye view, a bird's eye view of this growth process in sanctification. And if you want the principles or you want kind of a more different format, let me know. I've got it in a PDF, or I've got it in a Word doc to you and with all those references and things. But this should govern our thinking about the growth process. And we'll get really practical in the, in the next three weeks about how we grow and, and what, what's involved in all that. But uh, I just want you to be encouraged and I want you to really think through aligning your agenda for your life with God's agenda. For your life, which is your growth in Christ likeness. Let's pray.